Rotoscopers Podcast, Episode 17, Interview with Pixar's Chris Horn. Listening to the Rotoscopers Podcast, a podcast for animation addicts. Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. And for this episode, I'm your host, Mason Smith, and I'm here with my co-host, Morgan Stratling. Hello. Howdy doody. Howdy doody. Hey, howdy hey. <laughs> hey, howdy hey. <laughs> yeah, so we got an we got an incredible episode uh, for today. A real treat. A real treat. <laughs> First of all, how's your how's your week been? Any animation adventures you've been having, Morgan? Um, yeah. So I recently been watching the Creature Comforts shorts from Nick <laughs> yeah. Park and Ardman Animation. So I mean, those are really awesome because they're on YouTube. They're pretty accessible, and I mean, they're about I don't know five to ten minutes long. So you can just kind of you know, if you have some spare time, you can watch them, and it's not a big sit down event with the popcorn and the candy. And those are. Absolutely hilarious. When a listener brought those to my attention because we, in our Wallace and Gromit episode, in our Surf's Up episode, we talked kind of about how it's a mockumentary style animation. And then he kind of mentioned, hey, well, by the way, have you heard Creature Comforts? Because they're kind of like that too. And, you know, that was about 20 years before, 15, 20 years. So I started watching them and they're really funny because what they do is they take actual interviews of people in Britain. And there's a few where they go, they ask Americans questions. But they ask them questions and they just, you know, film them talking and then they animate to those voices and they turn the people into these different animals. So funny. Absolutely. Yeah. I saw a couple of the clips that you posted on uh, on Facebook and um, I think the British ones are just as funny as the American ones. Oh, yeah. If not better. And so um, I guess the idea of these shorts is that they interview real people and they don't exactly know that they're going to be on, that their voices are going to be set to like these claymation animals. Uh And so it just makes it even more funny because it's like totally real, you know, real looking, you know. I love love the zoo one, that Brazilian like lion thing. Yeah, I guess they interviewed this Brazilian guy and he was just like really homesick and like loved everything about Brazil. And it just works so perfectly with it. That's the very first one. That's the one that won the Oscar, I think. Oh, yeah. I love the turtles when they're talking. They look a lot like the characters from Wallace and Gromit. But I guess it's a different studio that did them, right? No, it's the same studio. Oh, it's still Aardman? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. There's one where they interview Americans about art. And there's this dog, and he's just talking. It's so funny because he obviously didn't know that what animal they were going to turn him to. And so they turn him into a dog, and he starts talking. Um, there's all these footprints in the background. And so this guy, he's talking about pr- art print that you can buy. And then he's like, yeah, you know, I make a new print every day. And, you know, the people will come in, and they'll be, like, so surprised about my new print. And it's just kind of like a... Double meaning? Yeah, it's just like a double meaning because it's playing on the word print, and he's a dog who's making prints. So, like, he's speaking very literally, you think. <laughs> no, I liked it, too. It's, I guess it's kind of irony and yeah, also yeah. the double meaning, you know? So that's what I've been watching, and it's been pretty awesome. So after this interview, Morgan... I remember a statement I made, you know, a statement that I made previously on the Wallace and Gromit episode. And I went on about, you know, stop motion. It's just as technical, if not more than hand-drawn or CGI animation. Okay. I I think CGI animation is the most technical by far after listening (laughs) to uh, all these experiences by Chris Horn. So I kind of, what is it? Retract that statement. Yeah. Retract, withdrawal. Stop motion is technical by, but you know, your your lighting and your models and your effects are already kind of set up already. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) the CGI film like Brave is definitely more technical. Uh, So just a little (laughs) edit there. 
Hey, we're, le- we're learning. <laughs> yeah, I, we're learning. We're learning. So, Morgan, I was lucky enough to get into contact with Chris Horn. He's a technical director, or TD, at Pixar Studios, working specifically in the rendering department and also the lighting department. He called it light speed. I was like, uh, shouldn't it be called light year, you know, since you're in <laughs> Pixar? But <laughs> uh, anyway, I mean, come on, Pixar. Get real here. And so he's one heck of a guy, super friendly, and I absolutely enjoyed uh, communicating and setting this interview up with him. So, without further ado, let's so uh, let's get this interview started, huh? So we're here on the podcast. We're doing an interview right now with Chris Horn working at Pixar Studios in the rendering and lighting department. He just got out of working on the movie Brave, Pixar's latest release. And we are so excited to have, on, have him on this podcast today. Chris Horner, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are y'all doing? Hey, we're doing just great. And let me just say, we are so thankful and so appreciative to have you on the podcast today uh, doing this interview. It means a lot to us. So thanks so much for making the time. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to do it. So I'm assuming you're actually at work right now at Pixar Studios. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. Hey, awesome. Well, before we get into, so we want to talk about Brave, you know, some more of the technical details of the show, because, you know, the rendering and lighting of an animated film like Brave is so important especially since Brave was so amazing visually. Before we get into that, let's get a little bit of your background, Chris. You know, how did you get interested in, you know, in animation and, and doing the rendering and lighting, uh, where you went to school, what you studied, and how that kind of led to your career in Pixar? Yeah, well, when I was like eight years old, uh, I think is when the first Toy Story came out. And, I, you know, I was cartoons, Saturday morning cartoons, and uh, I was seeing commercials for, like, movies about this cowboy and Space Ranger, and just, it looked like nothing I had seen before. And so, uh, you know, I, I basically demanded that my parents take me to go see it. And when I was walking out of the theater, I was like, I I want to do that. Like, whatever, I don't know what all of that was on screen, but, like, I want to do that. I just I just love the movie so much. Um, and it it worked out that because my dad was in, he, he's in computers, he does software and um, stuff like that. And he happened to know some 3D artists. Just like luckily, even even way back then, he actually knew some 3D artists. So he's like, hey, you know, my son's kind of interested in this stuff, and you know, can you show him around? And so they, you know, they kind of gave me tips like, here's the software you should use, here's some books you should read, and kind of some things that you should do, um, like you know, learn learn programming and stuff like that. It's like cool. And so I, you know, I run off and go do these things. And uh, my dad had at the time a blazing fast 100 megahertz computer. And so I would sneak, I would sneak into his office. There's like this two-hour gap between like when I would get home from school and like when he would get home from work. So we'd get on there and I'd play with like Photoshop 2.0, like way, way early. It was it didn't have layers. It was like a really terrible piece of software back then, but it was like the coolest thing out. And I would just play with that stuff like for hours and hours and hours. And so this this kind of continued on through middle school and through high school. And I'd check in uh, with industry people from time to time, like, hey, you know, this is what I'm doing. Like, where should I go from here? Uh, eventually, someone pointed out that uh, there's an amazing grad program at Texas A&M University that uh, just seemed to be pumping students into studios like Pixar and ILM. And I was like, hey, you know, we're going to be near uh, Texas A&M. Why don't we just go check it out? And so... I think it was at middle school at the time. I think I was in like seventh grade. And uh, we just walked in unannounced and we're like, hey, cool, this is the lab and stuff. And the guy's like, oh, hey, you know, why don't you come along? And showed me all around, like all the computers 
and all the different systems that they had and the software, and it was just, like, the coolest thing. They had posters of, like, Ice Age and all this stuff uh, hanging on the walls. And I was like, I, I want to do this. I absolutely want to do this. And so, yeah, I guess fast forward mm, five years, and I was, like, applying to colleges, and I hadn't actually applied to Texas a I was applying to a bunch of different other schools. Zanum didn't really have, like, a computer graphics program at the time, which they do now, which is awesome. But at the time, they didn't have one. And so I, I went into the grad program again. And I was like, hey, want to go to your grad school? Where should I go for undergrad? And you should come here if you want to go to our grad school. That night, I submitted my application to a and I got in. I chose it, went to the grad program, and uh, I got my job here, my first job out of school. Awesome. Perfect. So from a very early age, you knew what you wanted to do, and you had career path established, and that's really cool. So what about getting hired at a big studio like Pixar? What's the process of getting hired? It depends on, like, what kind of or which school you go to, because some schools actually get visited by recruiters. So A&M is one of those schools they actually get regularly. And so for us, we actually get early contact with the recruiters. So they come in, we meet with them, we show them our demo reel, uh, we go through the whole interview process, and usually it takes, like, a couple times. You go in the first time, and they're like, hey, your reel is terrible. You should go do these things and then come back in here. And then by the time they get out, they're asking you like, really, really specific questions about your work and how you did it. Um, but it's all it's all about the reel. Like, you flame it in. This is your work. This is me. You know, my past three years of work in one three-minute little clip. And they kind of you with questions, and they come to the studio, and they talk with the leads and the soups here. And then if they like you, they actually set up a phone interview. So then you go on there, and you have about a 15-minute phone interview where they do the same thing. They're in, and then they just ask you a bunch of questions, kind of your process. It's, it's really important for them to understand kind of like how you attack problems and how you did your work. Because for students like this, like there's a lot of really, really talented amazing people applying all the time. But the thing that kind of separates certain people from others is like their problem-solving skills because they do things that have never been done before. Like on a regular basis, it's like like when they were doing Merida, I was like, hey, you know, here's curly red hair and nobody's ever done that before, but we're going to have to make it work. It's going to be in like almost every single shot on the phone. So they like to make sure, they like to make sure that they have people that can problem-solve. And so a lot of it, a lot of the process is like going through and making sure that these people are really good problem solvers. And so, yeah, and then they interview everybody and they all sit in a room and they say, we like this person, we like this person, and they send them an offer. And so, yeah, you get a phone call and they're like, hey, congratulations, you know, you work at Pixar. And you jump oh, around wow. and, yeah, and then you just start talking to the, the people that will get your stuff out here. And, you know, do a mad apartment hunt, and that's pretty much the process. Awesome. Yeah, that is so cool. That'd be, like, the coolest thing, getting that phone call from Pixar. Hey, you get to work here. <laughs> yeah. It, that's awesome. pretty awesome. And, and when the first, because usually, like, when a company starts accepting people or whatever, like, at the lab, it'll be, like, maybe two or three people at the same time. Um when the first person gets the phone call, everybody's like, oh, they got a phone call. Okay. And, you know, everybody's just, like, picking up their phones and, like, waiting around them. And everybody's, like, really excited and stuff. So, it, yeah, it's a fun time. It's definitely a fun time. Wow, that's crazy. Is that kind of funny? Like, the second it, you, you know, have Pixar associated with you, it's, like, people are just very interested. Super fans. Oh, like, fanboy. Well, because yeah. I was a fanboy. Like, yeah. I was a fanboy. 
before I came out here. So I was like, oh. you know, uh, there's really, when I was in grad school, we had, there, there was a, a Pixar guy who came in to finish his thesis. And so I had my back to him. I was just working on my computer and, da, 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 and all these people are talking to him, crowding around. What is going on? Da, da, da. And so someone comes up and introduces himself and he's like, oh yeah. And they're like, oh, what do you do at Pixar? And I was like, oh, a guy from Pixar is here? And I just spun <laughs> around and joined the group. Like I totally, I was, I'm <laughs> such a boy. I, I was such, still am, but I was very much uh, a fanboy back then. So, you know, I don't think um, the fan the fanboy never leaves you, I don't think. No, it doesn't. If it does, something's the, wrong. When I came in and they do training and they're teaching the software, the first thing you do is animate the Luxo lamp. I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> I oh my animating gosh. Luxo lamp. This is so cool. Awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. And, lamp. And so, yeah, the fanboy in me was like, those are probably the longest hours I ever worked was in training because I just, I couldn't get over the fact that I was like in Pixar animating the Luxo lamp and making a little short. And, you know, in Andy's room, this is, like, the coolest thing ever. And so, yeah, that fanboy, it's one of the things that you forget just because it's like, oh, I got to get up. I got to go to work. I got to, you know, I'm, in my, I'm at my desk. And then I boot up Reddit, and number one thing is the topic about Pixar. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's where I work. Like, <laughs> not work. It's Pixar work. So, it, it, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And then there, there's the, like, nobody to somebody. You know, my high school friends, right? They're just normal people. I went to school with them. I'm just a normal person. But uh, over Christmas break, we were at a Mexican food place. And I turn around, and one of my buddies from high school is, like, there right next to me. I'm like, hey, how's it going? You know, and we're all greeting each other. And he turns around, and he's like, hey, hey. You know, and he grabs his aunt, and he's like, come on over here. I want you to meet my buddy who works at Pixar. And over his shoulder, I see his little sister whip around, and her her jaw is like on the floor she thought that was the coolest thing in the world i was like you know just a few years ago you would not have given a crap that i was standing right next to you yeah, but <laughs> you, get, you get the pixar thing attached to your name and you're like the coolest person in the world you're like zero to zero twitter. yeah here here like same thing with twitter is like <laughs> i was discussing some some engine stuff with just some like graphical computer science stuff with with some other game industry people which who also wouldn't have given me the light of day if I didn't work here. And, you know, we were talking about stuff, and then all of a sudden my name is being sourced in an article about the future of game engines in the next generation <laughs> of graphical hardware. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is, a, this is a conversation on Twitter, and all of a sudden I'm getting quoted. It's like, Pixar's own Chris Horn is... And I was like, wow, this is, just, this is just wild. I'm not anything special. I'm just, like, some dude who happened to get a sweet job, right? Like, yeah, cool man. Studio certain amount of cachet, so mm -hmm. that is awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, cool man. But uh, yeah, any uh, any name drops in in Pixar Studio would be greatly appreciated. <laughs> you know, our um, didn't our we had one episode get distributed by email to like the the oh, Wreck It Ralph team, didn't we? Yeah, because we we Wreck It Ralph. For Disney. Oh, wreck it out. Yeah, we we randomly got into a test screening. We were just like hanging out of a outside of a theater. We were gonna go see Avengers or something, and they're like, "Hey, do you want to see this movie?" We're like, "Uh, yeah, sure." <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, anyways, I guess a bunch of like Disney animators heard of it, and they like passed it through the pipeline, and like everybody heard, and they're like, "Thank you. It really like supported us because 
you know, we don't know how we're going to finish this movie either. And, you know, you guys are so excited. <laughs> so it's keeping us going. We're like, oh, cool. Well, that would help. Yeah, it, you'd be surprised. Cause we're, we all sit in front of computers all day. And, you know, you hit render. I got to do something. So it's like yeah. Facebook, Reddit, <laughs> yeah. what I, you know, random podcasts and blogs. Like, you'd be surprised just how much stuff the studio sees and just gets passed around. Yeah. Like, like the, there was some random Reddit post that hit, and, like, everybody saw it. Everybody was looking <laughs> at it. And it's like, I'm sure the people that are posting on this have no idea that the studios watch, like, even has looked at this stuff. But it's like, literally, everybody has gone in here and read all of the comments. Yeah. The whole Holy show. cow. So you'd be, yeah, you'd be surprised just how much stuff we see related to the studio. So if you do a podcast about such and such movie and one of the employees happens across it and they kind of like it, they'll forward it to, like, the entire company. Wow. Oh, cool. Now, you mentioned something about your girlfriend working there, too. Yes. Yeah, I'd love to hear the story. Like, uh, did y'all meet at Pixar or did y'all just sign on at the same time or... Hey, that's the thing. Everybody's like, did you, well, obviously you had to meet here because it's hard to get in. And we met six years ago, started dating six years ago. We met her before that in undergrad. Uh, and she was like, eh, you know, I kind of like this. We were in architecture at the time, both of us. Yeah. Architectural stuff. And she's like, yeah, but, I, you know, I kind of like graphics and, and stuff. And, but she likes painting and stuff. So she's a shading artist. And we went to grad school together. We worked on shorts together and, and did a lot of work together. We both applied at the same time. She got the job. I didn't. <laughs> oh. Back in College Station. And so I get all these, like, hey, guess what we did today? I'm working on cars, too. And, you know, she worked on Ma Luna, so she got to do that. And she was like, yeah, oh, you know, sweet. Enrico is the coolest guy ever, and he's super nice. And Which, by the way, Enrico is the coolest guy ever, and he is super nice. Like, he'd, he'd be walking through the park and he commutes through on his bike and he just every single morning he'd wake up as he biked by. Oh. She was just like a random crew member that was on the team for like three weeks. Oh. But he still for sure. But yeah, she came out here and I was like, oh, now I really need to work on my reel because I need to get out to California. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like working all summer and then working that last semester and I applied again and I ended up barely getting the job. But it kept me around. That's cool. I like it. Oh, awesome. But so yeah, now it's... whenever we talk to people here, and they're like, oh, y'all both, both work here today. How long have y'all been dating? And they expect it to be like six months a year or whatever. I'm like, six years? I'm like, whoa, wait a second. How did that? Wow, y'all got lucky. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, totally lucky. All right, so, Chris, you're at Pixar now, and you were working yeah. in the uh, the rendering and the lighting for for Brave. That's correct? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I kind of, it's this weird department called Lightspeed, which is, attached to the lighting department, but does also rendering stuff at the same oh, okay. time. Cool. Yeah, so even people in the studio don't really know what that department <laughs> is, but we'll just okay. say lighting and rendering, yes. Cool. So the lighting and rendering departments, what do they actually do at Pixar Studios? So the lighting department, the best way I can describe it is you have, it's like a studio setup, right? So you have your like a photography studio setup where you have your camera and you have kind of like your characters and they're all sitting around and so the lighting department goes in they just set up the lights everything's already in place or theoretically everything should be in place sometimes that doesn't happen but um everything else should be there and then they bring in the lights and they set them up and make sure the character looks good and then once the character looks good the rendering department basically comes in and flips the little shutter button 
and takes a picture. Um, and so the rendering department actually, like once everything's kind of like done and final and lighting and everybody else is finished with uh, the shot, like animation is done and simulation's done, uh, they take it to the rendering department, rendering department renders, and usually that's when we find things have gone really wrong. Um, <laughs> and so it's, yeah, it's the rendering department to like figure out what went wrong, who needs to fix it. Sometimes they'll fix it themselves. We get little, what we call artifacts, like little noise or something will pop on and off and blink or whatever, and you know, things that shouldn't be doing that. And so the rendering department will actually handle all of that stuff. So they'll paint out little pops and stickers and, and things like that and uh, make sure that when it actually goes into the film, everything is perfectly clean and the best quality it can possibly be. Wow. Cool. So you, you just mentioned kind of like little, I don't know, glitches or like problems that the rendering department finds in, in a finished scene. It reminds me of the, uh, the, the DVD for The Incredibles. They had these like they called them bloopers, but when I saw them, I, I knew that they were actually just kind of software you know, oh, yeah. gl- glitches yeah, and yeah. stuff that happened. Like people's pants were off and like people's hair was flying all over the place and people were naked for some reason. And um, I didn't think those those were bloopers, but I heard people laughing in the background. So I was like, oh, so they're probably at Pixar <laughs> Studios like laughing on how like the software kind of messed up on this. And I seen it at. I'm a, so I'm an animation student at BYU and watching some of the when they do their senior show. Uh, they're animated short every year. Um, I, I've seen them express their frustration on, on, you know, certain things won't, won't look right in the rendering, you know, or, yeah. or like, like you said, like there'll be some noise or some light will be going on and off and blinking. So I, I assume that happens a lot in, in the industry also. Do you have any specific or like funny experiences where like the rendering, where in the rendering department, you just found these like really crazy, wacky glitches and problems? Oh yeah. I mean, it happens all the time. Almost every single shot it has. A problem like that and so the fact that the final film looks so clean is just amazing but we actually have i mean this stuff happens all the time and some of them are like really particularly funny and so we actually have uh, a thing where we can like post our images and it sends it out to the whole company and uh, <laughs> lots of hilarious things like you'll have guys with a, like a crazy face and it just so happens that their shader broke, and so it looks like they're on fire, and so they're, it, it kind of looks like the screen is <laughs> on fire. There's other ones where I think his young Dingwall's face somehow blew up, and it ended up that his chest had his face and his hair. It, 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 it's totally weird. Like, just random <laughs> things happen all the time. And so, yeah, it's the rendering department, they'll see these images come in, and they, a lot of times they have to forward it. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, this hair blew up, or... This, and so they'll they'll send it to the departments that are in charge of the hair or the or whatever. And there was one on Brave. It's it came across my desk and I was like, oh no, you know that all the kilts are invisible. And so I was like, hey, you know all the kilts are invisible. We need to send it back. And they're like, no, 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 that's that's purposeful. And it's that butt shot when they're coming down off the castle. And oh yeah. And down, all the guys are walking away and and they don't have their kilts on. I had no idea that was in the film. I thought it was like a complete accident. And so I was like running around like, oh, we need to get the kilt on so we can get it moving. No, 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 no. <laughs> be like that. Like, calm down. It's okay. That's, uh, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Any other any other experiences like that in the rendering department? Uh, that are particularly, like, it's hard. It's, it's hard to share them without, like, images. And, you know, I can show it to you. That's probably the one that actually, like, ended up in the film. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. 
Well, I, I had no idea that you would ha- that they would have glitches and like problems like that in every shot, and it kind of makes me appreciate like even more all the work that goes into it. Is it usually like when you see a problem like that in the rendering department? Do you, is it pretty simple to fix, or is there kind of like a lot of problem solving and a lot of like I don't know? Does it does it take a while to sort those things out, or is it just kind of like little problems that you just kind of chug through? And we have. I mean, we have ones that, like, tend to consistently come up. And so we, you kind of develop an eye over time. Like, if this kind of thing pops in this certain situation, then it's this technology and you flip this knob and then it'll go away. So there's a, we have a lot of those kind of things. Like, we know where we kind of cut corners in our software such that those things will pop up. But at the same time, like, you're working in a system that's been worked on. Like, Pixar was founded 26 years ago. And... Mm-hmm. We are still running software from way back then. So you have just like 26 years of software on top of software on top of software. And sometimes problems just crop up and it, it takes a lot of digging. I'm, I, I mean like weeks sometimes to like fix some of these problems because it's, you have to keep digging. It's very much like you're standing on top and you know something's like, 15 feet under, underneath you, and you just need to keep digging until you find the problem and you can fix the problem. Then you have to pour all the dirt back into the hole and pat it down and render the, render the shot. It can be very difficult and frustrating at times, but at the end of the day, like you understand that it'll make the film better. So my next question, so you mentioned that you've been using software since you know, the beginning of Pixar time. Didn't they kind of rework the software and you know, kind of started ground up for Brave. Yeah, there was this awesome, awesome thing called MenV30, which is now called Presto, and they basically rewrote all all the software that we use at the studio for uh, animation. It was originally just supposed to be for the animators, and then they came. Brave said, "We want to use this software. We're going to try and make this like production ready." And so they were like, "Okay, so we're we're going to do we're going to do the animation software. Oh well, if we're going to do the animation software, we can do the rigging software as well." And so they started working on the rigging software. And they're like, "Oh, you know, while you're doing the rigging software, you should also do the layout software because it's hard to set up the cameras if you don't know where the characters are." And, they started doing, and it just kind of grew and grew and grew. And most of the studio is actually in this new software. We have this like crazy process to convert stuff from the from the new software to the old software. Because funnily enough, lighting and rendering do not actually exist in the new world. It's still in the old 26 year old world. They did an amazing job. Everybody, everybody that used it loves it. They think they did a really good job building software. Being like responding to uh, the critiques from from the different departments and, and really hitting all the needs that they have, and it seems to have gotten to a place where we can totally pump out more films faster for less money, which is kind of what every film's goal is to do a better quality quality movie for uh, less money. So yeah, it's it's an amazing achievement. I'm very impressed by the work that they've done. That's awesome. So you you didn't really get to work with it that much. That's being cool. Uh, they're kind of that's kind of like a future thing where they haven't really tackled how they're going to fold the lighting department in. So I hope to be able to use it someday. Maybe, <laughs> Maybe if you're lucky. Um, yeah, I'm lucky. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question about when you receive a scene because when you get a scene, it's essentially done and animated. But what if, you know, you get a scene for lighting and rendering, and for you, it's just not working for you? Maybe, I don't know, you don't like the way that it's animated, or you just don't feel like it's working? I don't know if you even have any say in that. Like, what's the process of collaboration within the different departments for scenes? Yeah, I mean, like, if I don't like the animation, it's too bad. Uh, Totally. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, you know, sometimes they'll do stuff where it, it might break a shot, and that's where I can be like, hey, I'll need to fix this. Like, if they scale something to zero, we just can't render the shot anymore. So I can be like, hey, animation, you know, you scale one of the triplet hits to zero. We need to not do that. And, and so they'll, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. We, we know, you know, there's kind of, like, clearly defined things of, like, should do, should not do. And so point out that you should not do things and they'll they'll go in and fix them for us but yeah if like oh you know mike just mike wazowski just isn't looking funny enough in this shot and then they're they're like yeah too bad um so i got i got some questions specifically about like lighting and how y'all go about doing it i've seen animated films where the lighting is really dynamic and i remember um one of my professors from byu taking us through the through the movie tangled when they go into the snuggly duckling scene and the lighting is really scary on those big barbarian dudes and stuff. And he pointed out that there's like a fire in the corner, but the lights are really not coming from the fire. And so the lighting is just kind of, sometimes it's just coming out of nowhere, but it, it all helps to uh, guide the eye of the viewer, I guess. And then I've seen, uh, and then you get um, films that are more photorealistic with their effects. And so the lighting is really realistic. So I guess it's just a general question for like you as a Pixar, you know, working at Pixar or in general, where's the line when you're doing a film like this between like realistic lighting or lighting that's just dy- dynamic and, and maybe cartoony, I don't know. How do you accomplish good lighting without making it too realistic if that's not your, if that's not the goal? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a tough line. Like most of that's decided by the DP, the director of photography, uh, who on, on Bray, that was Danielle Feinberg. And so she, she kind of goes in and she says, Hey, you know, this scene needs to hit this kind of emotional note. Yeah. We have all these torches and stuff like that, but Sometimes you want all those, that torch light and stuff, but uh, sometimes you don't. And so, like, in the mum bear fight sequence, uh, where you have, she's tied down by the ropes, and it's a really intense moment. And you want to be able to, like, read the look on her face, but she's, I mean, she's literally, in that shot, she's literally surrounded by uh, all these guys with torches. And so you kind of have to play this game of, like, okay, once they see the the scene to read from like shot to shot so you don't want like torches popping on and off between shots but at the same time like you want to you want to hit that emotional note so it's they spend a lot of time looking at it in in continuity so like with all the shots back to back to back uh fully lit and they'll just watch them over and over and over and they'll they'll say like oh this torch should be on for this shot oh but it doesn't quite look right those are kind of like the really tough sequences where you have a lot of light sources and there's a lot of action. The camera's changing a lot. Keeping continuity is really, really difficult. Um, and it's really, it's just a lot of work. I mean, more than anything else, it's, it's just a lot of hard work and being very detailed with what you're doing. But, I mean, we have a, a lot of amazing controls, like the tools that they build for us. We can pretty much hit any artistic note fairly quickly. I mean, rel- relative to like, you know, I have to hit render and then I have to wait two days to get my, my frames back, but actually addressing notes is pretty quick. Uh, we have we have amazing tools where we can just, like, put a spear into a scene and suck light out from a, from an area. Uh, if, so it's like on Mumbear's face, oh, well, it's a little bit too bright on the right side of her face. Can you take that down a, a little bit? They can just, like, put this little thing in and suck the light out and then problem solved. So they're, like virtual black holes that you can just put in the software that yeah pretty suck much in light. Yeah. <laughs> awesome it's like the most amazing thing because like i never had that going through school 
And I came in, they're like, yeah, you have this, uh, I, you know, I was just trying to do this thing. And they're like, oh, well, you could just put this here and suck the light out. And I was like, this changes my life, like deeply changes my life and how I can life. <laughs> um, and there was actually, uh, for April Fool's, one of the, one of the, software guys was like hey by the way those like black hole things we're getting rid of those for for monsters university and people flipped out people <laughs> were not they were like how could you do this and then one of the yeah one of the dps he's like hey guys april 1st you know it's, it's a joke yeah he he was kind of ostracized from the rest of the department for like a few weeks <laughs> <laughs> getting kind of tense huh <laughs> just a little bit awesome Okay, so you were talking about uh, you were talking about the um, Merida's mother, at, you know, as a bear when she's fighting. Um, so I guess I sh- we should sh- should have already asked this question: <laughs> Which parts of the film did you actually work on? Oh yeah, like I spent uh, maybe two months working on the the river sequence. I oh, okay. worked, yeah, that that was that one was tough. That was me, two lighters, and like maybe five or six effects guys, all just just like trying to get that thing to work. Cause that is probably the most complex effect that we've ever done at the studio. Just like a full on river with two characters interacting with the river with cloth and hair. If it gets wet, I mean, wet, wet hair is one of the hardest things you can do. And then we took really? Meredith's hair, bright and red and curly, which is also one of the hardest things you can do, curly hair. And then we made it wet, which is, I mean, just insane. And so, yeah, we had, it was one guy for all the cloth and all the hair. Um, and just, we were all in a chat room and talking to each other and, and making sure that it looked the best that it could and that it all worked for everybody. That was a, that was a hard thing is like effects would pump out a new uh, river simulation. They would install some new stuff and we'd get to lighting and we wouldn't be able to render it. Uh, it just flat out would crash the disc farm. And so we'd have to go in and it's like, okay, we have to make this work because, you know, the director asked for it. Um, and so we would have to go in and, and I'd be working with the master lighter and like, okay, how can we get this to work? And so we'd kind of move things around and, and relay our stuff and, and shove it out of the disc room and hope it came back the next day. And it was, it was basically two months of that. And then I also worked on a little bit on the bear sequence, the bear fight, and then the sunrise and anything with the cauldron, which was another, that was another tough one because that was getting, that was like yeah. one of the last things finished on the film oh. and we kept we kept running into problems where like you you know all the things where she's doing the the cake she's doing the recipe for the cake and so she'll like drop the hair in and it you know the culture changes from fire to ice or ice to fire I forget which, way, which way it goes but it changes and then she does the other one where the smoke swirls and that one it, it's when she actually grabs the cake and pulls it out of the cauldron it was I think it was doing about two weeks I mean, I don't mean like do like the film was due from the studio in like two weeks. So that was the the final cutoff point. And one of the lighters sends me this frantic email and he's like, dude, I, you know, this shot isn't coming back. And so I did some math and it was like, if we had just let it run, it would have taken a month to render. Holy and cow. Like literally, literally that is two weeks past our deadline. Like really, we cannot get this shot in the film. And so it was, yeah, it was me, the lighter, and the and the effects guys just, like, hammering away at the thing and trying, and my lead, he was the one that actually found the solution. But we were just, like, 
throwing everything we possibly could at the shot to hopefully kind of be able to render it in time for the film to be released. Holy cow, that is nuts. <laughs> but, that, but see, those are my favorite things. Like, I, I love the the impossible problems uh, when it's like, oh, this, this shot will not make it into the film in time. And so, you know, make it work. Cause it has to, I mean, that shot had to be in the film, so just make it work. But lots of late nights, lots of working dinners. They're, they're nice to us. If we have to stay late, they'll give us dinner. So lots of working dinners. And, hey, sweet. Yeah, it's fun. It's rewarding, too. When you when that shot, like, actually shows up in the film, you're sitting in the theater, and every time I see her go in and grab that cake and pull it out of the cauldron, I'm completely floored because it looks awesome, and it's actually <laughs> in the film. <laughs> Great. Now, see, after this interview, I'm going to have to go back and watch Brave and just be like, okay, I appreciate that shot, like, way more after talking to Chris Horn. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's like, what, a second and a half long shot or something like that, but it was so much work. But it was very, but it was very important. It was like a very strong story point. It's like, we did all this stuff in the cauldron so we can have this cake, which is the whole inciting incident for the rest of the film. So, I mean, there was no, there were no compromises for that shot. It was like, this is the way it has to be. Holy cow. Okay, so recap, you worked on uh, the river scene. And that is so yeah. cool that you told it. Uh, so cool that it was like the most complex effect. Then you worked on the uh, fight between Mordu and uh, Eleanor when she's all like beast mode, you know. And um, and then you worked on the cauldron sequence. So mm-hmm. th- thinking about this, I'm thinking about um, when I first saw Monsters Incorporated, and I remember the character Sully, um, and just the fur on him was like it was nothing like I hadn't seen like a fur effect on on a character like that. And so I was just, I was just marveling at that. And then I've noticed that people, um, animation studios are doing some cr- pretty cool things with like fur and hair effects. Owls of Gahul comes to mind, uh, of course, monsters incorporated and now brave. So working with fur and hair specifically, is there a lot of programs and like algorithms that go into controlling fur movement or is it more like a lot of tweaking and micromanagement by the animators? They, I mean, they spend, years writing the software just to simulate Merida's hair, just to get it to move and interact. I forget how many layers of hair she has, but they all kind of interact with each other. And they spent a lot. I I can't even describe how much time they spent trying to get that stuff just to work. But then they also spent a lot of time. It's not just Merida, but it's all of those characters. So you have all the MacGuffins and and Macintoshes and, and Everybody in the town, like, they all have hair. It all has to be simulated. And so they make sure to go in and, and fully test all of those characters. Literally every single character you see in the film has to be fully vetted so that their cloth and hair don't just completely explode. Because that's, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but the equations that they use aren't necessarily stable all the time. And so they'll get in situations where they, like, shorts will be fine one frame, and then the next frame they've exploded into infinity. You know, just be like polygons everywhere, and so they they have to spend months and months and months setting up these characters and and getting the parameters right so that when they put them in a shot and they go, it it at least looks somewhat realistic and hasn't exploded all over the place. Because a lot of times they'll kind of they'll run the simulation on the cloth and animation will go and they're like, hey, I'm going to run on my shot. And if the cloth has exploded, they all of a sudden they're like, hey, why isn't my shot coming back? I don't understand. It's running out of memory and it's still running forever. And so, yeah, just having the cloth explode basically makes the shot unusable for the rest of the studio. So they, they're they kind of in a tough situation where they're trying to do something that is near impossible. And if they fail, the shot becomes unusable. 
Wow. But they do have really talented physics people and, and software engineers that make this stuff so that it runs smoothly, runs quickly, and is very stable as well. Huh. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. And I had some. I had a question about like specific character lighting in a film like Brave. Not just making the lighting work, but I mean achieving a certain mood or atmosphere for a character. Uh, for example, the the difference between you know the difference in character design between Mordu and Eleanor as a bear. Like Mordu in the film, like I saw him as this just this big black you know mass of nightmarish death, you know. And then what was really cool was all the weapons sticking out of him, you know, and his, you know, those white fangs. How important is it to to get, like, is there specific light, lighting that goes into a certain character? Like, is a character lit a certain way that's different from other characters? Or how important is it to achieve that? We actually, every single character has a full lighting setup just dedicated to them. Really? Um, and I don't mean, like, all the background characters and stuff like that, but, like, Eleanor has, when she's imported into a shot, she brings in, like, her posse of lights. <laughs> and when Merida is imported into, into a shot, like, she has all these lights that come in into a shot with her. So, I mean, you have, like, your scene lighting, and sometimes those will interact with the characters. But a lot of the time, all of that stuff is specific just to the character to make them... It's like, depending on the shot, you want to be able to read their emotional state or sometimes you, you, you know, you want them silhouetted like Mordu, you're, he's supposed to be menacing, so you want to kind of catch the glint off of his bad eye. But like a lot of times they have a really strong rim light on him so that he kind of stands out from the background but still looks menacing. And they do lots of testing to make sure that the specific lights that they bring in with a character look best for them. So like, I think of I think of Mordu where they totally have all these stories that kind of come along with the character as well. So it's like, you know, Meredith's supposed to be this, like, rambunctious teenage girl and her hair is all wild. And so they they have controls just for her hair. They have controls to get, like, the right amount of red in her cheeks. And sometimes they have, like, Mumbear, for instance, she, a lot of times she's in, like, these dark sequences. Sorry, Mumbear is Eleanor as bear mode. I keep talking. You oh, okay, refer cool. to her as Mumbear. That's what Mumbear is. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> So Mum Bear, a lot of times she's in these like dark sequences, and she'll get kind of get lost in the background. So they have controls just to bring up the darkness of her hair a little bit to kind of pop her forward so that you don't lose her in frame. And then all the characters, they actually spend, and, and this is really, I'm probably going to ruin films for you, the little eye, the little white highlights on eyes are all specifically placed per shot. Like eye glints? Yeah, the eye glints. Like we have two lights, one per eye for all the characters that move around depending on where the character's facing. Um, and it's just so that it looks artistically good, but it, it takes a lot of work. And once someone told me that they did that, like, it's impossible not to notice it. <laughs> oh, shoot. Great. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> Sorry about that, but nah. <laughs> Don't apologize to us. Apologize to our hundreds of, of listeners. Oh, gosh. Apologize <laughs> Not just America, mate, the entire world. <laughs> All right. Dude, that is so cool. Like, I had no idea that, that so much, like, so much work and, like, all these, like, kind of... I love that that term, the posse. Every character brings their posse with them <laughs> of all these little lights and, and controls and stuff. That is just super fascinating. So we got a question that was done by Chelsea. Morgan, do you just want to... 
take that away. So you did Finding Nemo 3D, correct? Yes. Okay, so we'll talk about that in a second. But did, were you involved with the 3D conversion at all for Brave? Or uh, no, I wasn't. Okay. I I helped them out a little bit, but like not not really. Okay. Well, so let's just talk about Finding Nemo 3D because that's coming out in September. So, how big is a team that works on the conversion of a film like that, where it's you know been released ten years ago and now you're converting to 3D? Like, tell us more about that. Yeah, it, I mean, it depends on like how horrible the production of the actual film was. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so like Finding Nemo was like a pretty smooth production, fifteen people for a, more or less a year. But like, there's always stories about uh, when they did Cars. Originally, it was like you would send your stuff to the render farm, you wouldn't see your images for like a month. Wow. And so by the time it got back, it was just like, well, make it work because we don't have time for you to render that again. Um, so for for things like that, for like cars, they try to make sure that they have enough TDs available. Sorry, TDs are technical directors. That's kind of like our term for average Joe employee that works on computers, like a TD. Mm-hmm. Um, but for like cars, it's just need like you know 50, 60 people just to get the 3D conversion for cars through. But yeah, Nemo was like a nice small team, and it was a. It took longer than they thought, but it, it was still only like a year. Cool. What did you work on specific scenes? So when we start one of these things up, we have this term called bit rot, and it basically means like the longer you leave something alone on the computer, the more it's just gonna rot and be completely broken. And so when you open up Nemo, which I don't know how many, that was like eight years ago when that film was finished, nothing works. Like our software can't, we can't even open our software. It's just all broken. So when I first got on, it was right after Cars 2, I rolled onto Nemo. And they're like, hey, you know, join the team. We're going to try and convert Nemo. It's going to be great. And by the way, no, none of our software works. So can you fix that first? <laughs> so I went in, and it's, it was a lot of like, okay, it works on my machine. Now I need to get it working on everybody else's machines. Okay, now it works on everybody else's machines. I need to get it to work on the render farm. Okay, now that works. Now let's, like, shove a shot through. And you shove a shot through, and then that breaks. And it'll break, like, 15 times. Yeah, every time you find a problem, we don't find all 15 problems. You find the first problem. So then it's, you keep going and digging until you fix all 15 problems. So once I, once I got through all of those 15 problems and I, and I got through all those shots, then, then we actually did start working on sequences. And it kind of goes from the ground up. And so other than all the software stuff that I was working on, I was also working on, wow, oh, it's, it's, it's the dentist, like, niece. Her granddaughter or something like that. I forget her name. Yeah. Um, Darla. Darla, right? Darla. Darla, yes. When Darla comes <laughs> in and she starts freaking out, like that whole that whole sequence I worked on, I worked on a lot of the stuff where they, they go out to the drop-off. Yeah. And, and like, the, most of the coral stuff, like, women, when they're just, like, out in the ocean, that works perfectly fine. But when we started pushing shots through on Nemo and we got to the humans, like, the hair didn't work. Like, the hair didn't even show up. And then when it showed up, it was, like, in this weird new position that looked stupid. And we had to figure out what was causing that. And then, like, the skin was just black. So we had to figure out why all the skin was just – and it, not like it was dark. It was like a black hole cut out in the scene. Just, like, wasn't doing anything. The skin wasn't reacting to anything. So we had to figure it out. We had to figure out, like, why is this black hole person wandering around in the middle of the scene? And 
like reflections didn't work. And I, one of the worst problems that we, we come across is that we didn't have good uh, quality controls back in the day. And so a lot of times, like uh, one of my friends, she she's working on the turtle tube sequence in Nemo. And she goes in, she tries to render, and there's no bubbles, which is like the whole turtle tube. And so she starts looking in the past, and it's like pointing to someone's literal machine, like underneath their desk that, like, was decommissioned eight years ago. And so, like, there's no hope of possibly finding the turtle tube ever again. The original turtle tube is just gone. It's just lost. And so uh, we basically had to boot up a machine from an eight-year-old machine and load as much stuff from the original Nemo as we could and just re-ran the simulation and hoped that it came out the same. And I think it came, I think it ended up being very close. I don't think it was, like, the exact same turtle tube. So we, we call it the new and improved turtle tube. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Awesome. <laughs> so how do you feel about the final product? I've seen, I've seen actually the turtle tube sequence because it is amazing. Uh, and so that, that's the one that they keep showing off. I haven't actually seen the whole film, but it, it, this movie is made for 3D. There's not a lot of films where you go, this has to be seen in 3D. Like Avatar is one of those films where they're like, yeah, Avatar was okay. I'm like, you didn't see it in 3D, did you? And they're like, no. And I'm like, see it in 3D. It's a completely different experience. Like Avatar in 3D must be seen. And Nemo in 3D is like a must be seen. It is awesome. Because they have all that. One of the things that you don't notice when you watch it in 2D is that there's all those like green particles floating around in the water. Yeah. Like the gunk or whatever. And in 3D, it's all in depth. Like it's all floating around in front of camera and it's floating around all the characters. And it just adds a lot of depth to the whole film that wasn't there originally. It just, it looks amazing. Holy cow. Yeah, now I can't wait to see it. And I never saw Avatar in 3D, so. Oh, see, and you're like, I don't know. Well, I liked liked it, but um, actually, I know, I'm just a loser because the one and only time I saw it, I was on an airplane watching it on a really (laughs) tiny seat screen. Uh, with really crappy headphones that they issued us on the flight. So that's that was my Avatar experience. <laughs> wow. And you it, still enjoyed it. That's amazing. Am I a loser for only watching it because I like Sigourney Weaver? <laughs> not for James um, Cameron? Not for James. Well, I mean, you know, James Cameron's cool. But I'm, all, I'm all about that Sigourney Weaver in sci-fi movies, you know? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know she is. I, I'm just kidding. I, I um, Yeah, I like the film, you know, the... You know, the visuals and stuff are just amazing, but I need to go back and see it, like, on a, a you know, a, a nice, big, you know, regular-sized screen, you know, <laughs> see it in 3D. They you know. re-released it, like, a year later or something, but they need to make this, like, an annual tradition. Yeah, maybe it'll come out next year. <laughs> maybe it'll come back next year, This This year's presentation of Avatar. So, me and Morgan have a couple of more, like, nerdy questions about, about Brave. Um, I know we were just talking about Finding Nemo, but getting back to Brave and... and we just have some kind of nerdy questions that we have, uh, you know, on the podcast a lot. In every uh, Pixar film, the Pizza Planet truck makes an appearance. Appearance, and so in this film, Brave, it's actually a, a wooden, you know, it's a wooden thing that the that the witch makes. You know, in Pixar, who's in charge of placing the Pizza Planet truck in the film? Well, it's like usually, you know, the producers kind of have things that they kind of have to do all, all of our traditions. So the producers kind of keep track of that. The director decides, or I. I believe this is how it works. Uh, the director decides where they're going to do it. And then after that, it's kind of like whoever was in charge of the sequence, they got lucky enough to do it. 
is like that, you know, it's like you inherited the pizza planter truck, and so they get to place it. And it's one of those things where it's just kind of like you happen to be in the right place at the right time. Like I, I actually got to render the pizza planet truck, which is really funny because I, I like totally didn't even notice that the pizza planet truck was like in the shop. <laughs> um, you know, I didn't catch people, it either. Had to point it out. Yeah, see, we were in render check, and they're like, "Oh, look at this artifact!" And hey, pizza planet truck. And I was like, "Wow!" I just stared at this for a week. And never, it never even crossed <laughs> my mind that that was a pizza plant truck. And then, like, it's really obvious in frame, too, which is kind of the depressing part. I'm that oblivious. But, uh, yeah, it just, just so happens to be, like, whoever is in the right place. They're the ones that get to do it. So was oh. this is, like, a real—did you ever play Zelda growing up? Oh, yeah. Okay. Was the witch any way inspired from Legend of Zelda, those two witches, Kum and Koptek? There's one of the, I get questions like this all the time. Like, <laughs> hey, is this, you know, there, there's like this character in the, uh, the Monstrous University teaser, uh, and he's got, his, he's got his fists up in the air, and he's like, yeah. And someone else was like, hey, is that, is that Steve Holt from uh, Arrested <laughs> Development? I was like, no, that's not <laughs> Steve Holt. Like, I looked at the asset name, I talked to the people that did him, it's not Steve Holt. Um, or everybody thinks that Boo was in Toy Story 3, like, was one of the kids in the yeah. daycare. And it's like, no, that's not Boo. It just kind of looks like her. Um, and so this is one of those things where it's, like, it's kind of your ultimate witch character is, like, oh, long nose, you know, True. scraggly. And so, Older I mean, size. Like, they definitely look similar, but I think it's more of kind of, like, your prototype witch thing. Yeah. That you think from more than, like, oh, hey, we should hit that. So, but gotcha. yeah, it's funny when you really start looking. Like, there's a lot of similarities between things. My favorite though is, is the Steve Holt one. That, I love that one. I never would have thought that, but that's kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so, Chris, this is a question that I've asked before on the podcast, and I'm so glad that I get to talk to a Pixar employee and get your professional opinion on this. Um, so, we got King Fergus, uh, Meredith's father. And then there's Stoic the Vast, uh, Hiccup's father from How to Train Your Dragon. Who would win in a fight? If, they, if those Fergus. two duped it out, who would win? Fergus? Fergus. Absolutely Fergus. I mean, he's called the Bear King. That's, that's indisputable. Like, <laughs> Bear King. That's just awesome. And uh, Stoic still has all his legs. So, like, obviously he hasn't really seen battle. Uh, but King Fergus, one leg. He's got his little, like, wooden leg thing. I, you can just tell he's tough. He's not even afraid of bears after losing his leg. So I, I, that is I think true. it's obvious. I think it's the obvious choice. I'm also biased, but I think it's obvious. <laughs> oh, yeah. really? <laughs> and contractually obligated to say that, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's in my contract. Yes. <laughs> Where it clearly states that in an imaginary fight between characters, you know, who belong to different studios, the Pixar studio character will always win. <laughs> Always. Always. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, your argument's pretty con convincing because I know in Brave, it's not like they did this like big thing where like King Fergus has to face his fear of bears after this horrific battle with the demon bear. Like when the demon bear shows up again, he just draws his sword and goes at him, you know, no problem. Yep. Very cool. I, Very cool. I, you know, it's part of his character, right? Is like he's a, he's protective of his family and he's very much like a family man and not, not kind of like your typical like bro warrior guy yeah i mean he's bro he's warrior like guy. he's like a softy with his family so uh, i yeah i i love fergus i think he's a great character 
So what are the next projects that you're working on, if you can even say, you know, now that Brave's done? Well, it's all, I mean, it's all announced. So, um, yeah, I'm working on Monsters University. And it's, it's funny because I've been working on it since, like, May. Yeah. I, I've been working on it before Brave even came out. Like, I, I don't, I've forgotten most of my Brave experience for now. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm working on Monsters University. And then I don't actually know what I'll be going on to after that. I figured the good, the good dinosaur. Oh, cool. Um, the good dinosaur. Now, Morgan, I noticed that Chris didn't mention Finding Nemo 2 in the projects <laughs> that he's working on. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's one of the things, like, I I came back from lunch, I signed on the Twitter, and I saw Finding Nemo 2 and Toy Story 4 were, like, trending. Yeah. I'm like, what happened? What is going on? That's the first time, the first time I had ever heard of either of those. So I, I honestly have no idea. Like nobody's told us anything. So if well, that's true, great scoop. If picked... it's not, yeah, I'm definitely interested to see what Andrew's working on next. Hey, if you haven't heard about it, they, boy, they must be keeping you out of the loop, Chris. Watch out. <laughs> yeah, I know. They're gonna be shoving me out the studio here pretty soon. <laughs> Not telling cool. anything. <laughs> awesome. So what's like your ultimate career goal? Because I was reading, um, like kind of in research, you know, came across your DeviantArt page and stuff and said, you know, you always wanted to work at Pixar, like you said. So now that you're here at Pixar, what do you want to do ultimately? Where do you see yourself? I just want to, I mean, like right now I'm just a TV, but I would love to be a lead and then move over in, cause right now I'm in the Lightspeed department, which is a very, very small department. It's only four people on the show usually. So I'd like to actually move over to being a lead on the lighting department proper and then go from there. Cool. Hey, awesome. I got one. I got, uh, got a question here, Chris. So, um, you showed us some of your demo reels on, on, um, I never know if it's pronounced Vimeo or Vimeo. I'll just say Vimeo. Uh, you know, that one video website that starts with a V, but is not video. Anyway, so uh, I checked out some of your demo reels that you emailed me, and, and thanks for that. And uh, we also managed to track down your DeviantArt page where you have a lot of photography. And I guess I'm also I guess I'm also asking this because I'm an aspiring uh, animator, and my end goal is to – I mean, not my end goal, but I'd love to um, – you know, one of my goals is to work in a major studio like Pixar. So speaking of these, you know, these sites for like demo reels, how useful are them for, for young artists, you know, slash animators who are developing portfolios, applying to internships? Are these like essential things that they need to have, you know, like a little demo reel on, on Vimeo? Or do do studios look at, at their DeviantArt page or? They don't track down user. Like a lot of people are like, oh, I got to, you know, clean up my blog from high school and stuff. Most studios don't track that kind of stuff down, but, like, of your submitted materials, you will have your resume, your cover letter, and a reel. And your reel is – that's everything. I mean, some people don't even read your resume or or your cover letter. They just look at your reel, and if your reel is good, then you get the job. Um, It's it's very much all all about your reel. Like, everything you should do should be learning – so that you can put better work into your reel. That's pretty much the best advice I can give is like singular focus of get it in your reel, quality work. And and you also want to like surf other people's reels and compare and, and look at how other people structure their reels, what kind of work they're putting in there, the quality of work. That's a big thing is like we'll have 15, 20 positions open and we'll have hundreds if not thousands of applicants. Like, some of the major studios, like, they have a lot of applicants. And so you actually have to stand out amongst all of those applicants. You can't just be good. You can't even just be great. Like, great will get you an interview, but you have to be, like, the best. 
So you have to look at all of the great reels, compare yourself to that, and say, how can I, what can I do that's better than what they're doing? And so when, you know, when teachers give you assignments and stuff like that, I, I don't know, I don't know how BYU is, but sometimes we would get assignments where it's like it doesn't, it won't necessarily play to my strengths or won't necessarily play to my reel. And so a lot of times I would take projects in completely different directions than from where the professor wanted it. And it was it was all for my reel. It was like, I'm going to put this in my reel. I know it's going to be that. I might have to ignore some other things. I may have to get a lower grade. But I know that when I put it in my reel, it will be like the star of the show. I know it will be awesome. And I know it will be much better than if I had just follow the assignment criteria or whatever. Well, that's really good advice. Yeah. Do you have any other advice for, you know, animation students who are wanting to get into the industry, you know, whether it's more computer science side or whether it's more on the creative side, do you have any advice for, uh, for students who are trying to get in the industry? Yeah, I think, I think going to, uh, places like CG society, which is this website and they have this, uh, big community of CG artists and, just like looking through there and seeing what a bunch of people are doing. And then a lot of things like, I know when I was a grad student, they had this thing called the lighting challenge that actually was put on by one of my coworkers and they would, they would give you a set and you would light it. You would shade and light it. And that was one of the best things was like just actually like doing, not thinking, but doing and going in and getting experience because like you can you can read a lot of articles and stuff like that but actually getting experience and learning from your failures is the best way to learn so i would say like if you if you think oh hey i want to i want to be a model or just join them uh one of those 30 minute power modeling uh groups online and and just work at it you know get the software and just work at it work at it work at it and yeah um Experiment, uh, lots of experimentation. Like you learn when you do things that are kind of outside your comfort zone is definitely when you learn the most. Because if you fail, like so what? It just means that you'll be better next time. So I think yeah. I think getting out there and challenging yourself is, is definitely what you should do. And then once you actually have like a body of work, like shove it in front of your friends and and say like, hey, you know, hammer at this. Tell me what's wrong with it. And like you have to be open some people might say, you know, this is terrible, just cut it, like just get rid of it. Um, and you have to be okay with that. Like you can't be attached to your work. Like, you have to love your work so much, but you have to be able to toss it away at a moment's notice because that's what happens in the industry. Like uh, well, late and brave, like we had all these shots that were like in the film, like done, minted, going out. And they're like, you know, what? we're going to cut them. And this is like people had spent hours and hours and hours of work making the animation and the simulation and, and the lighting and everything. And then they're just like, no, but it's not going to be in the film. And so that kind of stuff happens all the time in the industry. So if you're hoping to get in the industry, you have like learn that lesson early. Like be okay with costing your work, be okay with critiques. And, and definitely, you know, once you've put it in front of your friends and you've gotten lots of critiques and you've reworked your work and, and gone over it, I mean, it's several polished passes. Uh, and if you have a goal like, oh, I want to be a modeler at Pixar, just apply to one of the internships. Just do it. Go through the process and see what happens. You might get some feedback that, like, completely changes the direction of, of your studies. Like, I definitely did that. I was denied from the studio before. Um, I, I just went in and I applied early and I said, this is what my reel is going to be like. And they're like, Hey, this is great. You're not, you're not there, 
but these are the things you should do. Come back to us in a year, and we'll see what you've done. So when I came back in a year, they said, cool, here's a job. So if I hadn't done that first one, I probably wouldn't have gotten the job the second time around. Very cool. That's yeah, awesome. thanks. That's that's great advice. Thanks for that. Yeah. So thank you so much for spending time with us, you know, during your lunch break and talking with us about your job and what you do. It's been really awesome. Absolutely. Lastly, do you have anything of yours you want to plug, maybe a website, blog, or Twitter, or project? Uh, no, I'm totally, I am, go watch Pixar movies. Oh. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. I'll plug, uh, yeah, I'll plug Brave. If you haven't seen Brave, go see it. Seriously. I mean, there's no reason not to. I mean, Brave is just an incredible film, like, visually. And, and of course, it's Pixar, so it's going to be a great story. And I was super impressed when I got to see it. So, boy, it's just been great uh, hearing all your inside information, Chris, and, you know, all, all your awesome stories. And uh, I guess what I'm going to take from this is that, like, Pixar Studios works really hard on their shots, and I can imagine some of the problem solving you have to do can get can get tedious and time consuming, but I can tell that y'all love your work and that y'all love you know the shots and the films and the sequences that you that you get to work on, and it definitely shows in the film. So thank you so much for all the experiences that you've you shared with us, you know, all your advice for uh, for animation students, and uh, just for for doing this interview, we really appreciate it. Absolutely, thanks for having me. Okay. I enjoyed it. Awesome. What, what have you learned from all this? I just thought it was interesting, just the process of how, I mean, if you want to work at Pixar, you have to have a plan, and yeah. you have to really go at it. You know, he was really determined when he was in junior high, high school, to learn the skills necessary to prepare him. And, uh, you know, some people, you know, they don't know what they're wanting to do until college, and that's fine, but... When you're there, like, you really have to be working as hard as you can because, like he said, there are thousands and hundreds of applicants. you got to be the best because, you know, we know Pixar is the best. Yeah, so that's totally. what I kind of really liked. And it was just really interesting to also talk more about his department because I think, you know, a lot of times you'll hear, like, ooh, animator, and you think, oh, it's all about the animators and what they do. But it's really a lot more of a collaborative process, and everyone else has very important jobs, and they're completely involved too just because they're not making things move doesn't mean they're not making the movie yeah an animation studio is like a giant clock it's like a giant yes par, yes par a giant clock <laughs> <laughs> dude that's awesome yeah i mean i was just blown away by how much like work and how much problem solving goes into as he said every shot of a film like brave mm-hmm. and it's just i'm gonna go back and see it now and just like be in total awe you know not a not awe but awe yeah you know? <laughs> about a <laughs> about a film like this, and I'm just glad we got so much in you know the inside scoop on so many things and all these cool experiences that he's had. You can tell he loves working at Pixar. You know, mm-hmm. totally jealous. I'll be yeah. there someday. You will. But anyway, totally inspiring. Yeah. Um, what I really liked about the interview is that he's kind of you know he's been working a few years, right? So I mean, he's still kind of fresh. You know, yeah. he still has those experiences from getting into the program that he can share, and they're relatively new. So that's pretty cool. So yeah, this whole interview has been a special treat, and I hope uh, I hope our listeners enjoy it. Thanks for listening. This has been like a killer episode. We you know we've all learned a lot, covered a lot of ground, shared a few laughs. 
be sure to tune in to future episodes because we've already got some other animators and some big time people in the industry lined up for interviews so uh, keep on listening and again you can find us all over the web therotoscopers.com we're on twitter facebook tumblr and of course hypable.com so until next episode we are the rotoscopers that are that big like you want to i lost my train of thought sorry no problem but you got to realize that we have a blooper reel at the end of each episode so you may or may not show up on the blooper reel <laughs> oh no i don't want to be on blooper reel <laughs> well morgan morgan caught my uh voice cracking uh yesterday so that that's supposed oh, supposedly going to make it on there so it's not like it'll be like here's the parts where chris <laughs> Horn from pixar messed up so what we'll do is we'll call you around uh this time tomorrow chris <laughs> Excuse me. And, uh, well, that's embarrassing. Boy, I better get all that out before uh, we start recording tomorrow. Mr. Horn, do you have any? Uh, never mind. But anyway, uh, so. Okay, so I, I had so much fun during that interview, Chelsea. <laughs> you're not Chelsea, you're Morgan. <laughs> Coolest guy ever. Yeah, totally. Is he still yeah. on the call? Oh. <laughs>